because what I'm going to talk to you about today is aftermath. And that's, that word burns in my spirit for you today is aftermath. Because I want you to imagine, you know, I don't know if any of you watch Fox News, but there's always like something that comes across the screen, Fox News alert. It's never an alert. Have you noticed that? It's like someone broke a fingernail, you know, it's like, and so, but there's always an alert, a news alert. But I want you to imagine today that there is a news alert that comes across the airwaves today, that there is such a disaster, such a traumatic event that has taken place in Birmingham today. But instead of devastation left behind, there is an aftermath of the quake that has taken place that causes people to walk through the streets and chains begin to fall off of them. For them to throw away the baggage that they have been carrying, that there is such an event that takes place in the lives of the people in Birmingham, that they are transformed and changed, not for the moment, but for eternity. You see, there needs to be an aftermath in our life, but so many times that Things happen, tragedies in our lives or traumatic experiences in our life. There is a quake that is left behind us. There is a trail of destruction that there's always going to be that. But we forget that there also has to be a cleanup effort. That there always has to be a time to clean up after the aftermath. And that's what I want to share with you. I want to share with you about the man that was at the pool of Bethesda, John 5, 1 through 15. I want to share that with you because in John 5, 14, it talks about this man that was healed. But this is what it says, and this is what catches my attention, because we always see in Scripture God heals people, and there is such victory and such rejoicing and such excitement, but this is what happened after this man got healed. It says, a little later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, you look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to a sinning life. Or something worse might happen to you. Have you ever wondered why did he say that to him? Not go and be healed, not the woman with the issue of blood, is your faith has made you free. Your faith has made you whole, daughter. Get up, you know, and rejoice. Not to the person. Stretch out your hand and be healed and go in faith. Don't return to where you came from or something worse might happen to you. You see, there is such a stirring in my heart to confront the next level of freedom in this room. Because every one of us in this room have had breakthroughs. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this ministry. Every person in here has had a salvation experience. If you haven't, you're in the wrong place. Every person has had a moment, a defining moment in your life. But is it possible to get so transformed by Jesus that who you used to be doesn't even exist anymore? 
Is it possible that God can so invade your old life that the only remnant of that old life is your testimony? Is it possible that you can change so dramatically that people do not even recognize you anymore? You see, the problem is that we never talk about the aftermath of our salvation experience. We're so great at sharing our testimony testimony of the moment, but not talking about the follow-up and clean-up efforts that have to take place. You see, I love 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25. I love this scripture because it says, the sins of some are obvious, reaching to the place of judgment ahead of them. Some people can see your sins coming a mile away. Some people just walk in it, and you know it before they even get there. But the sins of others trail behind them, leaving a wake everywhere they go. You see, I believe in a way that that scripture is for leaders. The hidden sins, the hidden things that we hold on to, the hidden things that we never get free of, but yet we step out on a platform in front of millions of people and leave a trail of what's in our life behind us. You see, God says the sins of some are obvious, but then there's those that without even realizing, because they refuse to get free, leave a trail of destruction behind them. You see, just like good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Because if there is good, if there is Christ living in you in your heart and freedom living in your heart, there will be a trail of freedom that follows after you. People will be able to see that in your life. You see, our actions have to leave a wake behind us. Will you leave destruction or will you clear the path for God's presence to enter into a room? You see, I believe so much in freedom. We all have stories. We all have moments. But what are you going to do with those moments? Your moment's not worse than my moment. My moment's not worse than yours. What you faced as a child isn't any worse than what someone else faced as a child. What you go through isn't the issue. It's who goes through it and who you run to in the midst of it. You see, God says there are going to be those moments. And see, there is going to be an effect that takes place in your life, whether you realize it or not. And there, I'm not moved by, by very much. I'm pretty even kill all the time. And I don't get moved by things I see on TV, you know. Reality TV is never reality. It's always planned. It's always scripted. It's always, you know. But there are those times when I'm watching TV and I see something. And it causes me to stop and take notice. And I was watching this video that someone sent me, and I was so taken aback by it because you could see a change take place in the room. Did you see the shift that took place in the room? They had no words. They had nothing to say. You could see it in them. They felt something, but they had no idea what they felt. 
Because you see, what you don't know about that girl is she is only 18 years old, and she sings at her church in Massachusetts, and she wrote that song. And so she had walked through some things and wrote that song. She was not, if you went on to look at that interview on online, the one at the end, Nikki, she said to her, she said, until this performance, you were not even on our radar. Because you see, even in darkness, light will shine through. Because you see, it wasn't about her. It was about she was proclaiming his name on that stage. She was proclaiming it wasn't about her. And they had nothing to say because they were taken aback because of something they felt. See, our life has got to be light in the darkness. We are called to be salt and light. We here have heard that our whole life, but do you really know what that means? We are called to be salt and light. Yes, salt to make people thirsty to know God, but it goes deeper than that. Salt is a preservative. It preserves the integrity of the truth of who God is. We are to be salt and light. We are to make people thirsty, but we are to preserve the truth of who God is in our nation. And then we are to bring it into the light for all to see. You see, the problem is that we have lost our saltiness. And while we were turning a blind eye, the gospel has been diluted. And it has been taken away. Because you see, we are to be that salt and light. We must survey the damage that we are leaving behind as we walk our lives. Will your life produce a desire for people to know who God is? I guarantee you they left that place that day thinking, what was that that entered the room when that girl sang? I guarantee you there are people that walk beside her in the competition that will approach her and say, what was that? What was that that you did? People who didn't even take notice of her noticed because light entered that room in that moment. You see, God says we are to leave an aftermath. There is a generation living in an aftermath of a place where we have diluted who God really is. The term aftermath is in my spirit. Maybe it's because we live in a time where most people don't even realize the consequences of their actions. Most of our generation, of our generation, are just self-pleasure seekers. Whatever makes me feel good, as long as it makes me feel good, as long as it elevates me to the top, as long as it gets me to where I'm going, I don't care about the trail of destruction that I leave behind. In the name of my religion, in the name of ministry, as long as I get to where I'm going, who cares about those that I leave on the ground? You see, there is an aftermath. See, as Pastor travels all over the nation on this book tour, he has run into so many people who don't really want to know the truth. They want him to speak a feel-good message about how everyone is accepted, and that's true. But the baggage they're carrying isn't accepted. 
You see, they want him to tell them that everyone's okay the way you are. You're welcome. Everyone is accepted by God. But when you're accepted, there's some things you got to leave on the ground behind you. There's some things that you've got to leave behind in order to go to the next level. You cannot stay the same. You see, their morality and righteousness has been diluted. While the church was sleeping, I believe he's talked about that his next book that he wants to write is called While the Church Was Sleeping. Because while we have been pursuing our positions and our titles in ministry, we have diluted the gospel of the truth. We have diluted it to keep from being politically incorrect, to keep from anyone coming against us. Christianity is easy today because it's all about whatever I can do to elevate myself and get on TV and become rich. See, it's more than that. In Matthew 13, 24 through 26, it says, Jesus told another story. I love it. It says, God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemy sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistles also showed up. You see, can we tell the difference in the gospel that we are preaching, in the work that we're doing, and we're planting seed? Do we notice when thistles are also being planted alongside of us? Do we notice? Because see, it says that in the end days, there will be those who are worshiping, and we can't tell the difference of who is true and who's not. Because we turn a blind eye. See, as a believer, it's so easy just to stop where Jesus begins. You see, I call this the aftermath, the aftermath of our salvation experience. So many times, the altar, we go down and we have an incredible altar experience, and all the chains fall off, all the baggage, all the backpacks, all the suitcases of all the junk from our past, it all falls off of us, and we're praising God. But at the end of the altar call, we're like, oh, no, I can't leave that. I can't, no, I got to grab, okay, you know, does anybody look? I want that back because that's my crutch. You see, he takes it all away, but we never leave it there. The aftermath. Aftermath means something that results or follows from an event, especially one of a disastrous or unfortunate nature. Consequence, the aftermath of war, the aftermath of the flood. You see, aftermath is what's left over after the initial destruction. You will never have an aftermath without first having an event of destruction. You see, but something happens at the altar. Sin is destroyed at the altar. But what your aftermath is, is dependent upon whether you walk away free or you walk away carrying the same old baggage. You see, that aftermath reveals what you couldn't see in the storm. 
You see, it is what is exposed by the sunlight. You don't see all the baggage flying around in the midst of the tornado. But when it's over, you see what was left behind. The aftermath is the toll of the storm. See, studies have showed that more people, most of the time, more people die after a destructive event than during the event because they're trapped, because they're trapped without water, they're trapped without food, they're trapped in the rubble, and they die in the midst of the aftermath. You see, God says, I've come to set you free for good. I didn't just come to save you. I didn't just come so you could say, I'm saved. I came to give you deliverance. I came to give you freedom. I came to give you joy. I came. Where is the proof that I have saved you? Where is the proof that you are who you say you are? So many of us are walking around, we're Christians, and we want to be light to our families, but they're going, you're no different than I am. You don't walk any different than I do. I've got more joy than you do when I go to the bar. I've got more joy. I've got more friendships in my life hanging out down at the bar. But where is the proof that God is who he says he is? Where is the proof that his life inside of you has really transformed you? You see, or is it just a social club? I don't fit in with the people at the bar, so I'll hang out at the church. They receive me. They accept me. You see, aftermath. Some of you deeply understand aftermath, the aftermath of abortion, the perversion that invaded our airways starting in the 60s, the aftermath of choices, drugs, addictions, abuse, divorce in your family, rape, molestation, all of those things. There are those in this room who have experienced things in their life, but where, what you choose to do after God has saved you in the aftermath of that moment will determine whether you leave a trail of despair or life behind you. You see, what you have gone through, while God didn't do it to you, he has a plan for it. He has a plan because we live in a sin nature world. Things happen to us. We're not immune to things in the world. But whatever you walk through, God has a plan to use it. You see, it's all about pastor's message about it's on purpose. There's a plan for your life, but there is an aftermath, a generation that is reaping dirty sheets. You see, Jeremiah 3.25 says, we made our bed and now we lie in it. All tangled up in the dirty sheets of dishonor. All because we sinned against our God. We and our fathers and mothers, from the time we took our first steps, said our, said our first words, we've been rebels, disobeying the voice of our God. See, we all have an aftermath. God saw us mess up back in high school. God saw you mess up at that party. God saw the moment in time that was meant to divinely change and alter your purpose and your passion. He saw that moment that was trying to define who you are because the enemy has a plot and a plan for each one of us. He knows what gets us. He knows the things that bring us down. He knows the things that we're tempted with. He knows the areas that we're weak in. He studies us. 
But while he has a plan and he puts things in our path to directly try to define who we are, what we don't understand is in that moment, God also wants to define who we are. He also wants to define you as a conqueror, as a victorious person, as his child, as his beloved, as an overcomer. You see, it's time to shed the victim mentality in our Christian walk. It's time to shed, I well, I this, I went through this, I went through that, I've been hurt, I've been done wrong. So what? We all have been. But are you going to live there for the rest of your life? Or are you going to step out and say, I survived. I am not dead. I didn't die in it. I survived. You see, if you're sitting here, then you are a testimony of life in your circumstances and your situation. You're not a victim. You survived it. You see, we all have that aftermath. Proverbs 5.21 says, Mark well that God doesn't miss a move you make. He's aware of every step you take. The shadow of your sin will overtake you. You'll find yourself stumbling all over yourself in the dark. Death is the reward of an undisciplined life. Your foolish decisions will trap you in a dead end. Why do you think I try to get y'all to have this wisdom challenge? Foolishness will lead you to death, but with wisdom mixed with the spirit, you'll make choices that will lead to life. You see, Paul spoke about the aftermath in Romans 7, 11. For sin, seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and entrapped and cheated me and using it as a weapon, it killed me. You see, the enemy will use the things and the events in your life to try to kill you, to try to snuff out that last little bit of hope that you have. But God wants to use the, what the enemy meant to entrap you with for you to finally get the strength to overcome it. You see, we have to fix the damage done to a generation. We must live in a new aftermath and a new aftermath of our life. Where is the new grass? And you may think, what does that mean? But can I give you the second and original definition of the word aftermath? The actual term in the Old English is that it was used to describe what took place after you mowed a field. The aftermath, that second and original definition means a new growth of grass following one or more mowings, which may be grazed, mowed, or plowed under. A new growth. You see, there is always going to be an event that could destroy you. There is always, if you are a threat to hell, there will always be an event that can destroy you. But you can either be destroyed or it is an opportunity for new growth to rise up inside of you, new strength to rise up inside of you, new abilities for you to give God the glory for what you have walked through and what you have survived. You see, I know this is going to be hard for some of y'all to believe, but I used to cut grass. 
for a living. Yes, I know. I know some of you have a hard time believing that, but I did used to have quite a lucrative lawn mowing business as a teenager because as you've heard me talk about on many occasions, I was I grew up not wealthy um, in a home that we didn't have a lot of money. So, hey, a girl does what she's got to do if she wants to have new stuff, if she wants to, you know. So I started a lawn mowing business in my neighborhood and I have to say I did good and so but um, I'm not afraid to get down and get dirty so um, and get my hands dirty so I had a lawn mowing business and I know what the smell of fresh cut grass smells like and it's a smell that says make way for the new the old has been cut off Growth can now resume. It's an exhilarating smell because it also represents we did our job. You see, it's a smell that says we did it. We finished. We accomplished. We did what we were supposed to do. You see, I know what that smells like, but you might say, okay, but what does that have to do with anything, right? I mean, you say, what has that got to do with the aftermath? Because The issue that I'm seeing and the issue that I have is that I don't smell the smell of fresh cut grass in here. I don't smell that we have that smell that we're doing the job that God has called us to do. That fresh smell. Where is the result of labor smell? Where is that smell? I can't see, I can see the chopped down blades of grass that represents new grass will grow. But where is the smell that says new growth is coming? Where is that smell? You see, we live in a time where the, we're in the wealthiest nation, but we simply don't give back to God what he has given back to us. You see, you won't be arrested in this room today for preaching the gospel. No one's going to come in and carry me away. I don't feel threatened to stand before you and tell you about the truth and the word of God. There is no threat to me because you see, you didn't walk miles today for water to be able to give your family to live. You didn't walk for miles. You and I are simply able to enjoy freedom without responsibility. You see, you didn't have to walk a day's journey today to hear the word of God preached. You have no concept. I have no concept of true commitment to Christ because we are free to do whatever we want here. But there are those, and there is a day coming that could come to America where that freedom can be stripped away from us. Because while we have been sleeping, the enemy has been planting thistles all through our nation. You see, trying to choke out the voice of truth so that the truth will never be heard again. You see, it's what The Bible says when there was a whole generation that grew up that neither knew God or what he had done for Israel. That's where America's heading. Because you see, we're so afraid to speak out, so afraid to stand out. Can I tell you, God expects you to stand out. God expects you to die to your own flesh. God expects you to get out of the way so that he can be seen. You see, look at what James says 
This is critical. James 5, 1 through 9 says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and well because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. I believe that he is talking to the church there. We are so fat with the freedom and the word of God, but we never give any of it away. We get so fat with the word of God, so full of God's presence. We get to worship, we get to sing, we get to do all of those things. But when we walk out, no one sees the proof. No one sees the proof of the change that took place in the presence of God. So why would they want what we have? Why would they care? Why would, we, would they listen? You see, James is declaring here that there is an injustice in the kingdom. He's saying it's time to take responsibility for the knowledge that you have been given. You see, in this school, this is a school of ministry. This is a school that says, I feel called to the nation to tell them of the great love of the one who saved me. Not, I feel called to the nation to stand on stadiums so I can be seen. You see, there is a moment that has to take place in your life when you want to glorify him, not your own flesh. You see, aftermath always produces a harvest. Jesus demands that we produce fruit. Because you see, fruit is the proof of our relationship with him. You see, but we have to be pruned along the way in our pursuit of him. You see, pruning hurts. It's the cutting away that causes a place for the fresh fruit to grow. You see, cutting away of all the dead stuff in our life. There's so much junk in our life that fresh fruit can't grow. So it has to be cut away. John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. See, there are those walking around in this room and place that we have all been where we're saved. We know the one who has saved us, but there's so much junk in our life that no fruit can be bore in our life. There is no fruit trailing behind us. You see, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. You see, God says, you're already in me. But what, do, what are you not allowing me to cut away in order for you to bear fruit? 
You see, you've got to stay plugged into the vine. See, Jesus was letting everyone know that I expect you to be different. I expect for there to be fruit. You see, I'm reminded when this, the disciples were in a storm. They were in a boat and Jesus was asleep. I love this story because I, we've all had storms in our life. And what is our first reaction? Jesus, do you not see what's going on? Do you not see that I'm about to die right here? Like as if he didn't know. You know, I mean, don't you think that when we make that statement, when that statement comes out of our mouth... He sees truly that we don't trust him. He sees that truly we don't believe what we tell others. Because you see, they said a storm arose and the disciples got scared. They woke him up and said, don't you see we're about to die? And he calmed the storm, but look what he says to them. He calmed the storm. He had plans to save them all along. But he was attesting their faith. John 4.40 says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still not believe that what I say is true? Do you still not believe that I am who I say that I am? Why are you discouraged and depressed because something didn't go your way today? Why are you so upset that you can't do what you want to do, that you can't be launched to the nation yet? Why are you so upset that someone got offended or someone got mad at you? Do you still have no faith? Have I not saved you? Is that not enough? God says, it's the wrong aftermath. The problem is that we're not producing fruit. We love the vine, We love being plugged into the vine. We gave our heart to Jesus. Now we love the long stretch of the line. We love the vine. We love to say we're a part of the Mercy Seat Evangelist Network. We love to say that we're traveling the nations. We love to say that we're in incredible churches every week. But where is the fruit? Standing on the stage does not produce fruit. It's sitting on your knees in a prayer closet, fighting through all the junk the enemy throws at you, walking out with proof of relationship in your life that produces fruit. That's what produces fruit. You see, where is your aftermath? Where is the sign that you are now different? We mowed the field But where is the smell of the fresh grass? You see, Matthew 7, 16 says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? See, we'll be known by the fruit that we produce. If you are still forcing us to live in your past, then you have the wrong aftermath. You see, I feel so strongly about this. If we are still being held hostage to the pain of your past, then you are taking everyone in here hostage. If we are still being held hostage to the pain of what you walk through, then you are allowing your pain to make you become the terrorist. 
You see, you have now become the terrorist if you refuse to let go of those things that the enemy has tried to kill you with. Because, see, you walk around, this happened to me, that happened to me. Well, everyone that comes in contact with you knows that God's not who he says he is or else you would be walking differently. You see, I didn't just get saved to say, I'm now a Christian. When I got saved, yes, it's a process. Yes, you have to go through deliverance. Yes, you have to do all of those things. But you got to be going somewhere. You can't just sit in the same old puddle of tears and live there for the rest of your life. Or else no one wants what you have. Where is the proof? You cannot continually hold everyone else hostage to your victim mentality. You see, some Christians still believe it's okay to live like the world, but Paul warned about this. You see, Christianity has become just the next big social club. Christianity is just the next big thing to say, I'm a good person. God never called you to be good. He called you to be great. He called you to make a difference. He called you to change the world. He never called you to be good. Good is the biggest enemy of great. You see, he never called you to be a good person. He called you to be a world changer because of the change that he did in your life. You see, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4 says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. You see, he's saying, not only are we so easily led astray, but we also turn a blind eye to those who delete the gospel to those who water it down. We turn a blind eye because we don't want to stand out. We don't want to stand up against anyone. See, aftermath means maturity, growth, freedom. Can I tell you what aftermath is supposed to look like? Aftermath is supposed to look exciting. Aftermath is supposed to have... Get, gotten you to a place where you decided to stay away from the old things. When you go home, you're not tempted, or maybe you're tempted, but you have the strength now to resist going back to the old way of life. You're not constantly having to dig your way out of the same old pit. Eventually, you know where the hole in the ground is. Eventually, you learn from your mistakes. Eventually, you learn the people who have the ability to drag you down, and you stay away from them. But do you want to? That's the question. See, your life should scream, Jesus. Your life should scream it. You are a walking billboard for him. Discipline becomes desired in your life and not ignored. Freedom is more than just a song you sing on Sunday morning. Freedom becomes a reality. Power is obtained through devotion to Christ and not by the position that you hold. The world sees someone that they want to emulate and not investigate. The anointing on your life speaks louder than you do. 
You use your past to bring freedom, not to entrap others. And we can just trust you to just be in his presence. But see, some of us are not walking in freedom. We're walking without being free. James 1, through 24 says, and I love this. Don't fool yourselves into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the world go in one ear and out, letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who don't act on it are like those who glance in the mirror and walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. Don't forget who you are. What that scripture is saying that if you read the word of God, if you read the Proverbs, if you read the gospels, if you read those things and, oh, that's such a good word. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, everybody has that statement, you know, oh, that's good. That's deep. But then you walk away and you don't act on it. You don't apply it to your life. Then you're like someone who gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror and walks away and can't even remember what you look like. You don't know who you are because you haven't allowed it to penetrate your heart, to penetrate your spirit, to become life in you. You see, John 5 says, this is a really neat story. It says a man has been, it's the story that we're talking about, the man at the pool of Bethesda. A man has been at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Can you imagine? This man has been lame. He has been crippled just sitting by the pool. You know, I imagine it became normal to him to sit by the pool. People would throw him money. He didn't have to get up and worry about lunch. He didn't have people would bring him things. People would, can you, you know, at some point, you have to wonder, did he even ask anyone to put him in the water? His pain had become his comfort. His pain had become his normality. His pain had become his sustenance. He lived on the pain he, that he lived in day to day. You see, many believed a superstition that angels would come and stir healing waters. So the sick and the lame would lay by the pool you see, Luke 5, 6 says that Jesus walked up to him. And I love this. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to be free? I imagine sometimes in my life when I just, you know, lament and just moan and groan and complain about certain situations in my life and I just want, I choose to be angry. I choose to be mad. I choose to be hurt. I choose to be offended. I imagine when I go to prayer about it, God says, really? Do you want to get free? Really? Because if I, if I, if I really heal you right now, you know you can't talk about it anymore. You know you can't use it anymore. You know that's not going to be something you can talk to everybody about anymore because you're free. You're free. But he says, do you want to get well? And sometimes I think God asks us that. We go into ministry. We get saved. And we just, oh, we just got all this junk from our past. And God says, do you want to get rid of it? You know, it's heavy. Don't you want to lay it down? Don't you want to get rid of it? But see, this is what 
the man says to Jesus. Now get ready for the excuses. In Luke 5, 7, it says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Really, 38 years, nobody would help you into the water? I find that hard to believe. So while I am trying to get in, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Really? And you can't go next? You heard about taking turns? You know, I have issue with this man's excuse. I have issues with people who always have a reason why they can't get free. Always have a reason why they can't let go of what happened to them. I understand it was painful. I'm not diminishing the pain that you walk through. I understand that it hurt. I understand that it altered a place in your life. But I don't know about you, but I choose to walk away from the pain. I choose to walk away from the hurt. I choose to say, God, I trust you. And while I hurt, while I walk through that pain, I am whole now. You have made me clean. You see, I choose to see where God has brought me instead of where the enemy tried to trap me. You see, can I just stop here and say enough Enough of the excuses. It's not always everyone else's fault that we can't get free. You see, we can't live our lives saying they, they did this, they caused this, they happened, made this happen. But true growth is when we can say, I, I can do all things through Christ. I am persuaded that he is able. I am a new creation, not they, but I, I am free. No more excuses. Without my excuse, and I might just actually have to take responsibility for my own actions. I can't blame everybody else. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God still. By now you ought to be teaching those that I've entrusted to you, but you still need to be taught. See, God's word, you have to be taught all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use of that word of God trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. You see, by now you ought to be eating solid meat. By now you ought to be taking protein. By now you ought to be up walking, but you're still, every time the wind blows, every time something happens, you start crying and say, somebody put my spiritual pacifier in. Somebody give me a word. Somebody pray for me. Somebody do something for me. Do it yourself. You see, God says, by now, you ought to be free. By now, you ought to be able to see truth in the midst of the darkness because your light shining a brighter. You see, God says, I've called you to be light. You see, just like a baby, every time something happens, you cry out for that pacifier, that spiritual pacifier for someone to bring you out of it again. I can't make it unless somebody praises me. I can't make it unless someone tells me I'm great. I can't make it until somebody tells me you did good on your report or you did good on your sermon or you did good on whatever you did. It's not about you. It's about bringing glory to the Father. You see... 
Luke 5, 8 says, then Jesus said to him, and I love this because I am as stubborn as they come. And I know it may not come, well, some of you who've had me grade your papers, you might see that. But in this scripture, we always like to make God's voice sound so compassionate, and he is. He's a compassionate, loving father. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. But you know what? If it was me, I imagine, say, Karen, get up. Pick up your mat, girl. Get up and walk. What is wrong with you? I saved you way, way back then. I healed you way back then. Why are you still laying on the stupid mat? You know, it's like, that's the way I feel like he talks to me. Because that's what it takes. You see, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Don't get saved on Sunday. It's like, don't get free on Sunday. Don't get free at the service that you're at. I mean, how ridiculous is that? You see, but Jesus heals the man. He's carrying his testimony. But here's the problem. He never even knew who healed him. You see, the man got free. He had been sitting there for 38 years, waiting, just using it as an excuse to lay there and get free food. You see, but then when he got healed, he didn't even know who healed him. You see, we want to have the appearance of holiness, but we lack the power through prayer, the proof of relationship. No power, no prayer. No prayer, no power. You see, he never asked who Jesus was. He just picked up as his mat and walked away. Look what I did. Look what I was able to accomplish. I got healed. Me, 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 me. He never even took the time to say, who are you? He never took the time to build a relationship with the one who was able to transform his life forever. You see, but he replied, the man who made me well, he said this to the leaders, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. But this is where we're coming to. In Luke 5, 14, here's what Jesus did. Later, Jesus found this man, found him at the temple. And he said to him, see, I see you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And something happened at that moment, and the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Because you see, it was all about him until that moment. You see, we go down and we have that awesome altar experience, and we get up and we brag about who we are. We brag about how God's going to elevate us. It's me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my giftings. Look at my talents. Look at my abilities. Look at the charisma that I have on stage. I'm a superstar celebrity Christian. Look at me. Christianity has excelled me to be in front of thousands of people instead of realizing he set me free. He set me free. I am saved by grace. You see, I once was blind. I was dirty. I was once was dead. I once was lost. I once was dying in my own sin. But now I see. 
You see, now I'm found. He found me in the midst of my filth, in the midst of my dirtiness, in the midst of all my floundering around in sin. He found me. And I'm a living testimony that he can do it for you. Because instead of fear, I now have joy. Instead of depression, I now have excitement for what God has. Instead of being bound by the chains of drugs and addiction and all of those things, I now have such a desire to see other people saved and set free that you cannot say that you haven't seen a change in my life. I'm not walking around dreary and weary and all of those things. I walk around, sure I have problems, sure I have things that come against me, sure I have things that happen every single day that try to tear me down, sure I get sick, sure my kids get sick, sure I face hard situations. But I know the one who can set me free. I know the one that can heal me. And if he chooses not to, I praise him anyway. You see, because I know in whom I believe. You see, I get so sick and tired of superstar Christianity. So it says, look at me, look at me. What is your aftermath? What are you leaving as a trail behind you? You see, Aftermath should be that your life screams Jesus. You see, what is trailing behind you in the wake of your life? Why are you here? Why did you come to this school of ministry? You see, I'm declaring aftermath today. An aftermath that says life. The life that God gives, not the devil's aftermath that says death and destruction. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. You may have come here as a failure. You may have come here as the ridicule of your school, a laughing stock of what the enemy tried to make you. But when you sold out to God, you became the most wanted in hell's post office. You became a threat to the enemy. And somehow you thought that life was all going to be roses at that point. But you have a bullseye on your back. But God's got armor that protects you. You see, you get a fresh start, created new, the old life is gone. A new life begins. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend to you. Everybody stand with me. See, it's time for your aftermath to be that you are a friend of God, that you know him. You see, I have family members that are not saved. They know my junk. 
they know how I was as a teenager. They grew up with me. They know my mistakes. They know my insecurities. They know my weaknesses. They know my attitudes. You know, my sisters, they know everything about me. But when I got saved, I hope that they have seen such a transformation in my life that they step back and go, I don't know what happened, but there's something different because I know that there's going to come a day that they're saved. I know that there's going to come a day and I hope that the life that I'm living is leaving such an aftermath behind me that they see the proof of a life lived right. You see, so when they're faced with that decision, they can know that he is who he says he is because proof of my life proved he is who he is because transformation takes place. You see, your life is a billboard What are you advertising? You see, it's easy when you go places, girls, to Mardi Gras. You're in a spiritual bubble. Everybody's doing what you're doing. Everybody's witnessing. You're in a group. You don't have to stand out. The people you're witnessing to, half of them are wasted, so you're not worried about what they think. When you're at the girl's house or the guy's house, it's easy to live it. You're surrounded by it all. When we go to churches and we're ministering at churches, it's easy to be who we're called to be. That's why we were brought there. It's easy to stand up and say, this is who I am. But when you go to work at the restaurant or when you go to the grocery store, or you go to the gas station, or I know, when you go back home and the friends you used to hang out with, I'm not saying don't hang out with them. Be light. I'm saying make a stand. I'm saying be proof that he is who he says he is. You see, you can be one of many people this morning Some of you are still at the pool. Some of you are still waiting for a change to take place. And you got saved. You got saved, and it was a real experience. You really got saved. But you're waiting for a transformation to take place. And God says, I'm waiting on you to believe that what I say is true. He's saying, right in front of you. The pool is right in front of you. All you got to do is take a step. All you got to do is decide no more excuses. You got to let go of the crutches in order to walk on your own. You see, our crutches are comfort to us because when I mess up, I can always say, well, you know, it's because that happened. It's because of the way I was raised. 
it was because of what that person did to me. This is how, why I act this way because this happened to me or that person hurt me or this person disappointed me. You're grown up. You have to make a decision to step in the pool or hold on to the baggage. Because if you sit by the pool and never step in, everyone that you come in contact with believes that God doesn't heal. Everyone you come in contact with, you're a false doctrine to them. Everyone you come in contact with thinks that you're a liar because you never get in the pool. You got saved, but you never get in the pool. When people meet you, they believe that God saves you just to live just in the same old junk, just take away the fun. But God says, I want you to get in the pool today. I want you to get in the pool. Get up. Pick up your mat. Carry it as a testimony. Quit letting it carry you. Or maybe you're the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you got in the pool. Maybe God helped you in the pool. Maybe God healed you. Gave you this awesome testimony. People are saved left and right by your testimony. But you go, that's right. Look what I did. Look at me. Praise me. Excel me. Propel me to the stadiums. Propel me. What can you do for me at Forerunner School of Ministry? How can you get my name out there to, so that I can be on stages, so that I can be touching the world for my name? Maybe you're that person. Or maybe you're the one that realizes, wow, wow, thank you, God. I don't deserve it. But here I am, a whole, healed, complete, brand new person. I can't wait to share that with somebody. No matter whether it's a stage in front of three people, because those three people will know you. In heaven, there will be three more people. Or whether you have me on a stage in front of thousands. But even in those thousands, if three people get saved, those are three people that know you. And I don't know which one of those people you are today. But you do. You know where you're at. And we're grown ups, and I'm not going to beg you because it's time to take responsibility for your own actions. Do you want to get in the pool? Who wants to get in the pool today? Who wants to live out the freedom and the proof of who God says that He really is? Then get to this altar. Get on your faces because this altar, the altar is a place where change takes place. And some of you have some baggage. Some of you are still in here with baggage. Can I tell you, if you allow him to, that baggage will begin to drop off of you. But only you can decide whether to leave it there or not. <laughs>